time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Over these past couple of months, we've been talking about these immutable laws of living. Now, this whole series was about how you can work with the world around you and, and the dynamics of the world around you and follow the laws of how to live easily or you can struggle. My uh, kind of comparison was if you were to get into a river. There are two ways of, of dealing with the river and being a paddle border that goes on the river on any given day, I do both. Uh, I might paddle upstream and then come downstream. And the reason I always start with that upstream paddle is because I know I'm going to get through the toughest part and I'm going to turn around and coast on down. Well, these immutable laws of living are like getting into that river and constantly trying to swim against the current. Now, you can make progress. You, you can get a little bit up the river, but it's a struggle. It's really fighting against the, the inertia of that water, the momentum of that water. Or you can turn around and glide downstream and find the faster, easier way to get through life. We've been talking a lot about different mindset pieces and about different understandings of, of how to perceive the world, how to understand the world, how to understand yourself in the world. Today, we're going to go into your skull and into your brain and talk about how your brain and your mind affect each other a little bit. And this is one of those places where we get to the limits of biology and the limits of philosophy and psychology because it all kind of meets together on this edge. When you think about yourself, you may go, well, I'm just my brain. Well, that's not true because you can create thoughts that affect your brain as if your mind is outside of your brain. Or you may say, I'm not my brain at all. There's this mind, there's this place where, you know, I'm beyond the biology, which is not necessarily true because we know that every single thought you have creates a chemical cascade in your brain. In fact, a lot of times people kind of reduce things down. So sometimes you'll go to a doctor who has reduced these mental issues down to strictly biology. It's just chemistry, they say. So chemistry would lead you to think, put a chemical in and fix it. And yet we also know that there are plenty of people who are able to make changes in their lives by the way they choose their thoughts and how they move towards that thinking. Both of those fit together. It's not either or, it's both and. Your chemistry in your brain and the structuring of your brain affects your thought process, your life in your mind. But your mind also affects your brain. So what is the immutable law today? The immutable law today is you can either live on automatic and fear and threat, or you can choose love and appreciation. So you either live in the, in the phase of love and appreciation or the phase of fear and threat. They can't, they can't exist at the same time. And your brain is only capable of one or the other at any one time. The automatic response, that fear threat response, you can choose to overcome it by your habits and the choices of your thoughts. This is kind of a place where we realize there's a lot of pieces coming together here. We talked about a thought as a thought long ago. We talked about the fact that the world isn't fair long ago. We talked about the fact that, the, that life isn't really even about being happy. I mean, it's nice to be happy, but that's not what it's about. That's not the central theme of why we're here. We're here to make an impact, to make a difference, as we'll talk about. So how is your brain structured? 
just for a moment, I want you to imagine that within your head, there are actually three levels, three layers of your brain. There's a deep part of your brain that you really share with all the creatures around us. You know, if they swim or they, they wiggle or uh, they fly or they crawl around, they all have this piece. It's called the reptilian brain, that part of the brain that is most deep in your, your brain. And it, that's the part of your brain that is most primitive. It is looking and scanning the world to see whether there's a threat or something to be scared of. And if it is, to decide whether to get away from it or try to beat it, try to overcome it, the fight or flight, or I just said it, the flight or fight. You can either, if you think you can take it on, go after it or get out of the way and avoid damage. That's the part of the brain that is so deep in the the brain that it's always looking and scanning the, the horizon for those threats. And when it sees that there's a threat, It tries to decide how to remember that threat from then on. And so that part of the brain, the reptilian brain, great phrase, isn't it? That's what the scientists call that reptilian brain is only there to keep you safe. It's only there to see those threats and to make sure that you keep yourself safe. And so it does it by fear. Fear and threat go hand in hand. So that part of the brain is so primitive that it really is lacking in some emotions. We'll get to the emotion piece in just a minute. Right now, let's think about that reptilian piece. And let me tell you a story about why I think it's such a wonderful phrase to say the reptilian brain. When I was an um, uh, early teenager, my parents sent me to a camp, a fairly rustic camp to say the least. I don't think they even realized how rustic it was. We were out in the middle of the woods. And every night we would go to our our cabins, which were really pieces of canvas over a tarp, which was on top of a wooden platform. We slept there while our two counselors slept in a pup tent not far from us, so a two-person tent. And during the night, we would hear the different wrestlings out there of things crawling around us. We never knew what it was, but it it was kind of an unnerving experience. I remember one night, though, We'd finished the campfire and we'd headed back up to our camps and, and my friends and I, my, the other campers and I were in our tent safely on our cots when suddenly I heard one of the counselors yelling out for the other counselor. But that other counselor was listening, this is in the old days, right, to a jam box, right, to do a, a boom box and no headphones back then, right? He was just listening to the music so he couldn't hear the other counselor calling for him. So we campers realized that we needed to go get the camper, get the counselor. And so we get out of our bed and he says, be careful, don't come this way, go the other way. And so we went the other way and we found the other counselor and said, hey, you're being called. And so he went over and the two counselors uh, came near each other and between them was a rattlesnake, a very upset rattlesnake, very agitated. And I could hear that, that of the rattles that was kind of that dry, rustly sound, but you, you knew what it was. Well, between the two of them, they finally pinned it down. This, this one snake was not going to leave that path. And so they finally got it pinned down and we all went back to bed. The next day, we all took a little trip down to the main office because in that office, they had put that rattlesnake into a cage. The cage had chicken wire, nice little mesh wire to keep it in its cage. 
And a lot of people took a look at it and left. But I was mesmerized by this. <laughs> I don't know whether the snake was mesmerizing me or is just the experience of a little boy seeing a rattlesnake uh, that I'd heard about many times. And there he was. He was a big, fat rattlesnake. And what I noticed is when I was at a safe distance, he would stop moving. But if I took a step closer, I would hear, and if I moved closer, I'd hear, and if I moved closer, trying to warn me that he was on alert and I was encroaching on his area. And what I realized is a step closer, faster rattle, snap back, step up, step back. And I realized that that snake wasn't angry at me, didn't care a thing about me, didn't, all I represented was a threat. He was trying to figure out how to warn me to keep my safe distance. And he would calm back down. No anger involved, just threat. And so I would move closer and back away and move closer and back away and move closer and back away to test this little theory. Now, if you got too close, he would strike the edge of the cage. And so he had kind of a raw nose. It was really a kind of a pitiful experience for that, that snake. But I remember that vividly because that was that reptilian brain looking for a threat. I got too close. The threat had to be warned. And if necessary, defended against because he had nowhere to go. He couldn't get away from me. That reptile was living on that, that piece of threat. Okay. So you have that piece of the brain inside of you. And whenever you get involved in a discussion that turns ugly and turns into an argument, that piece of the brain kicks in because it's no longer about solving the issue that was about the conflict. It's about winning or getting away. It's about fight or flight. If you have had close friends when you've had conflict or maybe you've been out somewhere and somebody has gotten into a conflict with you or maybe even a spouse or a boss or a coworker, you know what I'm talking about, that there's a part of your brain realizing this is no longer a rational conversation. This is all about defense, right? Or attack, one or the other. So you have that part of your brain. Right on top of that reptilian brain is the limbic system. The limbic system is also been referred to as the mammalian brain. It's the part of the brain that has, brings feelings into it. And those feelings are, are part of how we connect with other people and how we mark our, our space with other people. And animals do it too. Because mammals, for the most part, are looking for some level of connection. A reptile doesn't mind. A reptile will lay eggs and leave. But Mammals tend to stick around with their babies, and so there has to be some connection there. And often they'll create groups, packs or tribes or whatever it is. There's a group of those mammals that have to relate to each other. And if you've ever watched a dog who who you walk in too close to, that dog might at first give you a warning and be kind of uh, in that place of, of the reptilian brain, you know. And then you notice that there's something else there though that the snake didn't have. There's feelings. That dog may be angry with you and and have some emotional response. So the limbic system, it's the same process that allows us to connect to other people, also brings feelings and emotions onto that threat level. Now, that limbic system has another layer right on top of it, and that is the part that we humans are most proud of. That's our neocortex, the part that does those higher level thinking, reasoning, logic, thinking about the future. And in humans, it's highly developed, partly because we have the capacity of language. So if I were to say, hey, what are you going to do on New Year's? 
You could think ahead of what your plans are in New Year's. If I ask my dog, what are you going to do on New Year's? My dog has no reference for what's coming up. If I said to you, hey, what'd you do last New Year's? You could probably, after a few minutes of contemplation and remembering, at least remember the beginning of that episode, the beginning of that day. And my dog couldn't. I can't tell my dog to think back to last New Year's or last week or even last hour. My dog knows some training and and does it by kind of automatic response. We're not really clear how they know that, but it becomes kind of a habit. But we humans have this other piece where we can reference things and talk about things and think about things. So that's the part, a top part of the brain. Now, notice what happens when something scares you. The first thing that happens is you have this startle response and your body goes on alert and you, you're trying to figure out what to do. And you usually have one of two responses, either running away or getting ready for the fight, fight or flight. That's that primitive part of the brain. Then suddenly the limbic system comes online. Remember, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to keep yourself safe. So the limbic system follows that by giving an, a rush of emotions. It might be anger, relief, you know, whatever that is. And then you begin to think about that. The top part comes online. That's the normal pattern when something comes upon you, when something startles you. The problem we have is that we as humans spend a lot of time in that, that fear place, that threat place. And so we've taken the emotional, and if you kind of think of there's three parts of the brain, but if we just divide the limbic system in half, there's, there's a higher part of the limbic system and a lower part of the limbic system. The higher part attaches to that neocortex. The lower part attaches to that threat. And so if you add the top part on in the neocortex, you can think about the things that you appreciate and think about love that you have. If you attach the lower part of the limbic system to the threat, you end up with that anger and resentment and and jealousy and all those other kind of emotions that pull us down when we perceive a threat. So the fact is that we can live in either one of those phases. But here's the kicker. On automatic, without working at it, we end up going to that threat mode. It keeps us at a lower place. That threat mode means we're always looking and always feeling that anger and resentment if we allow that to dominate. Or we can choose to step up to love and appreciation, which is the place of that higher limbic system and the neocortex. Because we can think about those things and choose. The neocortex is where we can change our thoughts by choosing our thoughts. So if I were to say to you, hey, just for a minute, make yourself happy. Do something. What would you do in order to make yourself happy? Now, you can't go anywhere. You can't go buy something. You can't eat anything. You can't do anything. You're just sitting in your seat or walking or whatever you're doing right now. How would you make yourself happy? You would think about something that made you happy. Or how about this? If I said, let's work on gratitude. You know, last week was Thanksgiving Day. What did you do to shift into a thankful mode? Maybe you do like our family does, where you gather around and you talk a little bit about what you've been thankful for in this last year. You notice what happens when people do that. First, it probably feels a little awkward because we don't do that much. But second, it makes a shift for you. And suddenly you're, you, you might feel deeper levels of, of appreciation for the people around you. And you might feel deeper levels of love and connection with those around you all because you chose to focus on those pieces. So it's either fear and threat or love and appreciation. Those are the two phases. 
And I would simply ask, which one do you want to live in? Where do you find more benefit? This is where we move into, because it's one or the other. That's the law. It's one or the other. Now, here's the hitch we get to choose once we know that. If you know people who always seem angry and always seem on the defensive and always looking for a fight or always looking for who's against them, you now know where they're living their lives on automatic. And if you see people who are always aspiring to great things and to help the world and and feel love for everything and have a great sense of connection with the world around them, you know where they're choosing to spend their time. You get to choose to live in love and appreciation or you will end up being caught by the fears and threats. The question is, which one do you live within? How do you spend your time? Now, if you want to go on automatic, you can do that. You can stay in fear or in threat, or you can say, hey, you know what? I want to tap into something else. So here's how we make the most of this law. That The law is it's one or the other. How do we make the most of this law? By being conscientious about the choices we make. This is the magic of what's been called a gratitude journal. And gratitude journal doesn't have to be a big thing. You can do a gratitude journal simply by every day writing down three things for which you are grateful. You can get up in the morning, write down those three things for which you're grateful and make sure that they are different every day. And as you're writing down those three things for which you're grateful, feel it. Allow that to be a part of you. Now, it might take a little work. You know, if you get up and you're grumpy, you write that down. And at first you may go, yeah, yeah, I'm just writing down, you know, these pieces. But dwell on them for a minute. Turn them around in your head. Spend your thoughts on that. And notice your mood shifts. And then if you decide to do that, you might also reflect upon it again in that evening. Now, if you do this on a daily basis, what you recognize is that your brain, and now we're back to brain, not mind. The mind is about choosing your thoughts, but the brain can rewire. Our thoughts can rewire our brain. And we can become more habitual about looking for the things over which we're grateful and less habitual of going to that automatic place of threat. Now, we're never going to get rid of that reptilian brain. You cannot disconnect it. So don't worry about that. It will always be there when something is of true threat. The problem is that we humans have a little edge of threat to us all the time in our mind because it's better to be overly cautious than to be less than cautious. When people were less cautious in the past, they ended up being snacks or dinner for some beast. And so if you were the person walking down the path and you saw a rustle in the bushes, it would be better for your primitive brain to go, get out of the way. There's something over there that's at danger than to be going, huh, I'm kind of curious about that. What is? I think I'll go look. The ones who looked did not get to allow their genes to pass to the next generation. And so you and I are the creation of overly safe, overly cautious people. That's the genetic pool that we pull from. That's where we swim. And so we can choose to be there or we can look around and realize that much of culture has made that safe. It's very rare that there's a saber-toothed tiger anywhere near me uh, and probably not near you. There's no real risk. Even when I'm running in a park and I feel like I'm in the middle of the woods, I'm pretty safe because all the dangerous animals are staying a distance away. So as long as you're in that kind of surrounding, that kind of normal everyday life, you're pretty safe. Yes, 
When you walk up to the crosswalks, you don't want to throw caution to the wind and decide to jump out there just because you want to live in love and appreciation. You do want to be cautious and looking around. But the rest of the time, you may want to be nurturing that love and appreciation level. Because when you do it, it automatically shifts you out of that threat mode and into another mode. When you do that, you naturally are shifting your brain's phasing to a higher place. You shift it from the lower place to a higher place. Now, it's it's going to go right back eventually, right? And so you have to be conscientious. And one of the reasons for that is because we've created habits over our lives where we keep going to the threat pool. We keep swimming in there instead of crossing over to the love and appreciation pool. We cross that line and get to the place where we can appreciate what's around us. So the challenge is to watch and see where your brain habits are naturally. And then notice where your mind habits are, where your thought habits, and then become conscientious about changing it. Years ago, we had this nice idea of mental hygiene about how to keep our minds clean and pure. And I'm not talking about, you know, not looking at bad stuff, although that is included in it. I'm really talking about how we spend our mental energy. Do we allow the thoughts that keep us stuck in that place of threat and place of fear to dominate our minds and our brain, therefore? Or do we choose to step into a place of love and appreciation? I would just suggest that now that we've just come through this this kind of Thanksgiving place in the United States and only, what, a month and a half, maybe two months ago in Canada and other places are celebrating it also, where we are intentional about that gratitude, that we do that on a daily basis, that we create the habits that allow us to step up into the higher phase of the brain and the higher place of the mind of love and appreciation and allow that fear and threat place to exist when it needs to, not as the default setting where we live our lives. So where do you want to live your life? At a place of threat and fear or at love and appreciation? I believe that the more we're able to keep a conscientious shift to that higher place, the more we're capable of thriving. Yes, there are going to be difficult times, but we deal with the difficult times better when we're looking at it from a love and appreciation perspective than to be always worried about what's going to capture us, what's going to catch us, the worries of our lives, the fears and threats of our lives. We do better when we've already created a place of love and appreciation. My challenge to you is to think about the things over which you are grateful and make it a daily practice. Some people find that that journal each day does it. Some people find that they need to take a break middle of the day and refocus and say, where is my mind? Where's my brain phase? How can I phase to the higher place? How can I bring that place of gratitude? It doesn't take long. As soon as you start focusing on the things over which you appreciate and have gratitude, you're naturally changing the rhythm. Yes, it is going to take some effort because it's usually about changing some habits of mind. But the payoff, it all depends on where you want to live. In a world of threat and fear or in a place of love and appreciation, a thriving life based in love and appreciation. This is Lee Balkum wishing you a thriving life. You 
You've been listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at ThrivologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Thank you.